The Department of Labor, I think, took people by surprise. Hi, I'm John Sullivan with 401k Specialist, and this is the 401k Specialist Podcast. This week, we're joined by Barbara Roper, Director of Investor Protection for the Consumer Federation of America. Roper is an outspoken advocate for effective regulation to protect the public from predatory practices, and she's often critical of watered-down rules friendly to the industry. Reg BI and the Department of Labor's fiduciary rule are frequent targets, but she has a lot to say about where we are with the new administration. Barbara, I'd like to begin by asking about the Department of Labor's move earlier this month to change the definition of fiduciary. The story absolutely blew up on our website. Do you have a sense of what they're doing, and are you pleased, concerned, or indifferent? So we're very supportive. Um, I think the Department of Labor, I think, took people by surprise, both in industry and in the advocacy community, earlier this year when they announced that they were allowing the Trump-era advice PTE to take effect as scheduled. When they made that announcement, they made clear that they had a number of additional steps in mind that they were planning to take. Um, The first being to issue guidance on how they were interpreting that um, PTE. That came out earlier this year, the FAQs, um, which in particular, emphasize re-emphasized points that had been made in the preamble to the rule when it was adopted in the Trump administration about some rollovers being considered fiduciary investment advice under the existing definition. Um, sorry, that's my cat. Um, uh, that so they so they um, issued this guidance. They were in particular, clear that they take seriously under this PTE the obligation firms have to rein in conflicts of interest, rein in incentives that uh, are inconsistent with a best interest standard. And they, but, and when they issued that guidance, again, they said, you know, we have more that we're planning to do. And the two things in particular they highlighted, or maybe you can call them three things. One is additional rulemaking to close loopholes in the definition of fiduciary investment advice, a look at whether the impartial conduct standards from the advice PTE should be incorporated in other available PTEs. For example, the PTE relied on in recommending annuities frequently. Um, And then whether the advice PTE needed additional adjustments. So, and that will all proceed under normal rulemaking procedures, right? You know, there will be notice and comment and consideration of those comments. And then there will almost certainly be an industry lawsuit challenging whatever they do. So this isn't going to happen overnight. Um, But I think clearly a major focus of what they're looking at here is this issue of rollover recommendations. Are you optimistic overall about the Biden administration's efforts to protect investors um, when compared with the previous administration? So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I never get completely optimistic, like cautiously optimistic sort of is the, the, the farthest I ever get on the optimism scale, because I've been working on these issues for quite literally 30 years. and um, 
in Democratic and Republican administrations alike, we have gotten very little traction, you know, for our arguments that we needed to seriously raise the bar in terms of the standard of conduct that applies. But we'll know more about the Department of Labor when we have a permanent, you know, EBSA director there. But the early signs are very promising from my point of view. And the fact that this went into the regulatory agenda suggests to me that they have the support at the highest levels of the department. So I I feel pretty optimistic that they're on, um, you know, sort of that they're, they're just moving through what they need to do on that rulemaking very thoughtfully. And so that's, that's uh, encouraging. Do you believe we will get a Reg BI with teeth under the new SEC chairman? And what do you think he meant when he said in congressional testimony that it will be enforced as written? Well, yeah, and clearly um, Congresswoman Wagner and I heard that very differently because <laughs> she was very pleased to hear that. The way I heard it, um, in the context, and knowing that Gary Gensler is a strong supporter of a tough fiduciary standard, um, the way I heard it was, as written, it includes a best interest obligation. As written, it includes an obligation to mitigate conflicts of interest. And those words weren't assigned any meaning in the rulemaking. You know, best interest is undefined. And, and it's been used, it, it has been sort of deprived of all meaning by the Securities and Exchange Commission over the years. So will we finally get some, you know, like a principles-based definition of best interest? Um, I am cautiously optimistic that we will. And then the real, to me, the real heart of the matter is on this obligation to mitigate conflicts of interest. Because even with a good definition of best interest, experience tells me the SEC is unlikely to be very aggressive in second guessing the decisions that firms make about what's in the customer's best interest. So hard to push them past sort of a almost a fraud standard in how they enforce this or the fiduciary duty under the Advisors Act or, you know, so, but if you can, the, the language in the rule says firms have to have policies and procedures to, that are reasonably designed to mitigate conflicts of interest that operate at the sort of individual rep level, the individual broker dealer level. Um, and if you get serious about that, saying in, in much the same way the Department of Labor did in their earlier FAQs, you know, don't be creating incentives that wouldn't, you know, that are inconsistent with the best interests of the customers that wouldn't otherwise exist. Show us what you're doing to minimize this conflict. You know, if if we got if we got a similar interpretation out of the SEC, then I think you could have a Reg BI that, while imperfect, would be a considerable improvement over the status quo. And I would argue, by the way, that we need to do the same thing for the Advisors Act. We'd be remiss if we didn't ask about Bitcoin. Again, are you pleased, concerned, or indifferent? So I guess what I would say about Bitcoin is I turned 65 
last this year, last year, last fall. And I've just given myself permission not to think about cryptocurrencies. I just think I'm just a little bit too old to have to come to terms with that issue. So um, I, I just leave it to others to figure out what the right approach is on that issue. For anyone who doesn't know about the Consumer Federation of America, and we don't know anyone really who doesn't know about you at this point, but what is, what is it and what do you do? So CFA is a nonprofit, nonpartisan consumer advocacy organization. It was founded back in the late 1960s to serve as a voice in Washington for um, consumer groups, which were at the time largely state and locally based. And we work on a broad array of issues, um, a lot of financial services issues, so high cost credit and insurance. If folks got a rebate on their insurance in, in COVID, that is thanks to my insurance colleagues who did amazing work, um, but also say discriminatory rate, rate practices, rate making practices in the insurance industry, um, housing issues, but also food safety and product safety and energy efficiency and telecommunications policy. So we work on a wide array of issues. Excellent. Barbara Roper, that's exactly what we needed. Thank you so much for joining us. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.